Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to another uh, M2D2 talk. Uh, I'll be the host today. My name is Johnny. You might have seen me around in the M2D2 Slack community, uh, but I'll be hosting today because Prudentio is unavailable um, to host the talk. So our, our speaker today is Shang Fu. Uh, he's a PhD student at MIT CSAIL, advised by Tommy Yakala. Uh, his research insert, uh, interests lie in the intersection of machine learning, natural sciences, specifically in developing generative and dynamical models for applications in materials and drug design, as well as molecular dynamic simulation. Uh, the talk that he'll be giving today, as you can see, is titled, um, Forces are, are Not Enough, Benchmark and Critical Evaluation for Machine Learning Force Fields with Molecular Simulations. Um, and with that, I'll hand it over to Shang. Thanks, Johnny, for the introduction, and thanks everyone for coming to share um, what we've been doing here at MIT. So um, today I want to talk about our benchmark work on how we have been thought about to evaluate uh, machine learning models that are designed for molecular dynamics, and I will just quickly touch upon what I think are the next to come. So let's just jump into it. So. I will start by giving a overview of molecular dynamic simulation. So here on display. Okay. Starts playing. Yeah, I just want to sort of show a very impressive video that I've seen uh, about molecular dynamics that um, here they simulate billions of atoms and just to see these are different metals and this is like the interface of the two metals and the color code represents the relative, the, the, relative, the relative proportion of the two kinds of metals. That's when you melt the metal, you'll see the atoms flow. And it's, it's kind of impressive that um, you can simulate so many atoms, you can simulate billions of atoms and then you start to recover some of the, some of the like, turbulence like behavior that are described by higher level uh, theory. So it's really impressive that these very simple rules in how atoms should interact can recover these very complex behavior when you actually scale this up. So what are molecular dynamic simulations? One, one sentence is a computational method for studying the time evolution of molecular system. And the most uh, sort of uh, the, the most uh, significant difference compared to other simulations that maybe we are more familiar with, like graphical simulation of water or stand or different types of visual materials, is that um, the, the force are really fast changing, and the system is really complex, and you need very very small time steps at the femtosecond level. So basically a simulation for a million step will only give you a like trajectory uh, of like a nanosecond. So that's not very long. And it's not enough for studying uh, many, many natural phenomena. So with this uh, compute requirement, uh, you really need to think about what you can simulate and what the properties you want to investigate with it. So the molecular dynamic simulation process involves integrating a Newtonian equation of motion 
with forces obtained by differentiating through a potential energy function. So this is an important aspect that all these physical systems are energy conserving. Uh, by the way, if anyone has any question, feel free to stop me at any time. Uh, happy to answer this. And uh, so why do we care about molecular dynamic simulation? Um, they look cool, but uh, so why do we care? Um, it's very useful in all aspects of natural science. So since the first paper in 1957, uh, which was about hard sphere systems, like just basically like a billard uh, colliding each other, um, it has been so much uh, uh, like progress in this field. And now we can simulate complex system from batteries to proteins. So on the right hand side, I'm just showing you some scenarios which we can simulate today, like the fast folding proteins, or uh, we, we, we have like, so if you want to study something uh, under the earth, uh, it involves very high pressure and temperature. And those are not something you could easily sort of uh, synthesize in your, your, in your, in your like actual real lab. So it's really the usefulness of this is you can simulate conditions which are not even possible for you to do in the, in the lab. So it's very useful for property prediction. Like you can simulate the thing and see how fast can this uh, nanomaterial absorb, uh, say, gas. And you can understand interaction mechanism. You can try to see how does the protein fold. Or you can design new materials or drugs uh, with these simulation engines. So, and in particular, you can simulate unknown systems that you were never able to synthesize. So if you want to find a new drug, you can, you can just simulate it without even having it. And you can simulate extreme conditions, like I said, and you can get this incomparable spatial temporal resolution at atomic scale, and a very fine time scale uh, with MD simulations that no other methods can give you. And uh, so it's such a useful topic. I hope you agree, agree with me on that. And why is machine learning relevant then? So current methods features limited time and length scales due to high computational cost. So we need faster simulations. On the right-hand side is a little spectrum about if you want to estimate something, how long do you need to simulate? And uh, it can easily take days or weeks or months. And you can imagine if you have many, many different things you want to screen, you have like a thousand molecules on the screen for drugs. Um, this is huge cost. We also want to do principal data-driven modeling. So all these force fields, um, they are based on human developed theory. And you want, maybe you want to fix the theory uh, with data inputs. And what, 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 what should be, how should you do that? And you want to understanding complex dynamics you can see maybe it's a like whole soup of all the chemicals mixed around and just looking at the video or measuring some statistics may not be enough for you to understand what's going on. And there are machine learning tools that tries to dimensional reduce these complex systems and try to discover things like say Markov state models to feature the most important significant states and how the system transition between them. So there are these tools for you to better interpret a molecular systems. 
And you can also enable more efficient structure and property prediction with machine learning models. So sometimes you don't even need to simulate the ML, the MD, despite you may use MD as the data input, you may not even need it. You, you may not even need to simulate to get the final thing you want. Say I'm only interested in the conductivity of this battery material. And uh, maybe I can just train a supervised uh, regressor to do that. So there are many places where machine learning can help this process. But uh, today our focus is more on the simulation side. So a little introduction about machine learning force fields. Um, they're aimed at replacing of initial simulations by predicting forces directly from atomic structures in order to characterize the potential energy surface. So here, there are a few jargon here. Um, so there are many two types of, of MD simulations, classically, not classically. There are many two types of simulation that's well known before I know. It's either of initial, which is based on quantum mechanics and classical force field, which is based on sort of simple interaction rules uh, and Newtonian mechanics. So the ab initial simulations means the quantum mechanical ones. And they are much, much, much slower than the classical ones. So the classical ones are basically very simple interaction rules, such as maybe your two atoms they are bonded, so I will model that with the spring potential, let's say. So the energy is just like K uh, delta X square by divided by half by two. And that's very simple to calculate and you can do it very fast uh, for many particles. But if you want to simulate at the quantum mechanical accuracy, you need to solve or approximately solve the Schrodinger equation, which is very time consuming. So machine learning force field, each we want so machine learning force field aim at predicting forces, and each inference of the machine learning model, typically a neural net, is not going to be as fast as a classical force field, which just are just some simple equations. So the the goal for these ML force fields are really just to replace the ab initial simulations, uh, which may be like ten to the four times slower uh, than classicals. Um, so yeah, there is still huge room for machine learning force field to accelerate there. And you want to calculate the potential energy surface, which is basically, uh, so the potential energy surface is, is a function, it's a scalar function that takes the molecular state at the input and output the scalar. And it tells you how high the energy is at that state. And if a state has higher energy, it's uh, less likely that it, it would appear. And uh, the, the transition, or the, the dynamics of the, 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 mo the molecular state is also dictated by the potential energy surface. So you're basically taking a walk on the potential energy surface. You're trying to minimize the energy, but you are also paired with some thermostats or barostats to um, find like to, to, to make say uh, your, your simulation is always at uh, 300K temperature. So how to train a machine learning force field is I want to learn a potential energy function E hat, which is the what the machine learning model tries to fit, taking the molecular state as input, and you're given this data set of molecular states Xi's and the forces on each atom Fi and the energy Ei. So you have a data points of that, and you will train by fitting this by predicting a scalar energy 
which is E hat, you minimize the, the, the difference between e, e hat and E, and you will take the gradient of E with respect to X to get the forces. And you want these forces to match the ground truth forces, Fi's. So there are different types of these machine learning force field, which include uh, early work uses kernel, and uh, there, there are later works that use local neural nets. Uh, like these are neural nets only look at my neighbors and don't look further. And these neighbors, of course, are defined by some radius cutoff often. And there are graph to message passing models, which I think are sort of the most popular today that uh, would do message passing over the molecular graph. And uh, they may also add radius cutoff edges. So this graph message passing can potentially capture very long distance interactions. Uh, so there are invariant nets, there are equivariant neural nets. So you can imagine the energy is not something will change uh, with respect to the rotation orientation of the molecule or the uh, translation of the molecule. So your energy prediction should be invariant to those. And well, the force will rotate according to the molecule. So the force is equivalent. So if you predict an, an invariant energy and differentiate that through positions, you automatically get equivalent forces. But more recently, people have been looking at even models that don't predict energy, that directly predict forces. So you will need these equivalent structures. And of course, the benefit there is you can be faster if you don't predict the energy and try to differentiate through that during prediction. And uh, yeah, so that's the difference where you either predict the energy and take the gradients to get the force, or you can directly predict the force. So there are all these variants which we'll touch upon in our benchmark. Um, but that's an introduction on machine learning force field, sorry. So now that we have a machine learning force field, how do we simulate that, simulate the MD with it? So we need to integrate a Newtonian equation of motion with forces obtained by differentiating through the learned energy function. And if we want to mimic the desired thermodynamic conditions such as uh, fixed temperature or fixed pressure, we need to pair the learned force field with the thermostat or barostat. And they are the, so once you learn the force field, you can pair uh, the thermostats or barostats with the learned force field at any temperature or any pressure. Technically, that should be possible. But uh, the, the caveat is uh, if you train your model with only one temperature and you change the temperature, and now uh, your, your molecular states may be very different from previously, and your, your learned model may not generalize. So I see there's a question. Is that a question? Yeah, so I, I received a question from uh, Yoshua. Uh, thank you, Yoshua. Uh, so the question is about estimating force field. What if the estimated, estimated vector field is not a gradient field? How problematic is that? So that's a very good question. Um, when you don't fit the energy, so basically when you directly try to predict the force, you, you of course, sorry, uh, okay, no, it's gone. So when you're directly trying to predict the force, you cannot ensure energy conservation. And uh, there has been people thinking about how you may 
conserve energy without predicting the energy. But any, anyhow, current stage is if you want to be energy conserving, you predict the energy and take the gradient of the energy to get the forces. And if you don't do that, you almost always never be able to conserve the energy. Uh, and uh, if you don't conserve the energy, it turns out to be fine in many cases. So for another very famous benchmark called Open Catalysis Project um, from Meta, and uh, the best performing model there don't conserve energy and they directly predict forces. And in our experiment, we also see sometimes you can get away with not conserving energy and you can still preserve the like uh, simulation statistic correct and you can still be stable. So it's unclear to us right now how important energy conserving is. Although I do hear from some people that uh, being energy conserving is important for stability. So that's what the Nikwe people told me. Uh, and what, does it mean, the, what, is, what does it mean stability here? Stability of what? So you can simulate the molecular system. Let's say you are simulating a molecule and the bond lengths are sort of rigid. So they don't change much. And in our work, we track stability by saying, okay, if your bond length deviate from the uh, equilibrium bond length for too long, you're unstable. And uh, that basically means you will explode next time step because if your bond length says one angstrom, it should be say 1.5 angstrom. And if you go to 0.5 angstrom, almost certainly you, you, your system will explode next step. Um, so that's how we track stability. Okay. Yeah, so um, yeah, some people say being energy conserving is important for stability, but uh, we've seen simulation that don't conserve energy, but are stable. Uh, so it's not entirely clear how big an influence it is to be conserving or not conserving energy, uh, but it's definitely desired as is what physical physics says. Um, so yeah, to be able to simulate, uh, we have your machinery force field predict the forces, you pair it with a similar stats or barrel stats, and you use, uh, so these simulations are typically very long, usually at least millions of steps. That's sort of what makes it really hard because uh, uh, you learn something, it has slight arrow, you, this arrow accumulation needs to accumulate for billions of steps and you still want to be correct. Um, so these simulation pro produces a time series of positions where you can compute observables from things like RDF, like radio, radio distribution function, divisivity, conductivity, all these observables you can compute from there. So I, I have a question. Is, is yep. the, the reason we need a million steps, is it because of uh, the time to converge to the stationary distribution or some other reason, like maybe the events of interest are very rare and you need to do a lot of sampling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. A lot of cases is because you need to do a lot of something to see the interesting events like the protein folding, fold or unfold is a very rare event. So um, there are ways to accelerate that seems like enhance sampling methods. Uh, but if you just simulate with the two or the, the, the sort of uh, design force field, you need very long time to, to see them. And even that is not really true because uh, I've seen arguments like, Protein folding actually takes seconds. <laughs> and uh, if you try to simulate, uh, you often see they fold within like hundreds of nanoseconds, which is not true. Um, but it's, it still sort of gives you some insights. And in other cases, like 
if you are interested in, say, the conductivity of a battery materials, you want to track how fast the lithium ion travels. But when the lithium ion travels, it hits things in your electrolytes. And it just I, like- Sorry, it, what, what happens when it happens, when it travels? It hits other things in the electrolytes. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So your electrolytes is the materials and the lithium ions travels in them and it hits things and it gets bounced back and it cannot travel very far after a long time. So if you want to sample these bouncing effects and be able to measure like in the macro scale, how fast lithium ions travel, you need a very long time simulation. I see. So things of this sort. So yeah, it's often like, like what you want to do dictates how, how long you need to simulate. And uh, of course there are methods about how you kind of accelerate these processes. Or another example I like is about if you have a membrane of a cell and you want to see how a molecule penetrates the membrane, that doesn't happen very fast. So um, all these needs time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, so yeah, uh, here it's not very complicated how you simulate the system and uh, uh, you, you then compute observables from it. And it's, it's like in the end, it's the observable that you care. So I, I want to quickly check the time to see. Okay. Oh, I have I another question. Faster. Uh, how much yeah. how much randomness is there in, in the simulation? Because okay, so you got the forces that's deterministic. Yeah. Uh, do you inject noise or like is it very deterministic or very noisy or what? Mm, there's no noise. So often cases there's no noise, absolutely zero. Really? Noise. But the in system reality is or in the simula in, in reality or in the simulation, in the simulations. So. <laughs> Uh, but uh, uh, so so at least for classical force or machine learning force, there's zero. But uh, the system are often very chaotic, so a tiny bit of difference can lead to mm. very different consequence in many steps to come. So that's also why I think it's not a good idea to evaluate these force fields with say MSE error after hundred steps or a thousand steps. Uh, it's more reasonable to evaluate the observables. Thanks. Yeah. So. Um, Let's jump into how to evaluate machine learning force away. There's no other questions. Okay. Uh, Shang, I think there's another question in the chat for us, Samar. Uh, yeah. So Samar asked about if we are trying to simulate a canonical or isobaric example, should we try to conserve interatomic energy or extended Hamiltonian? So, um, at least for existing force fields, it's always the, the interatomic energy or the potential energy. Uh, so the extended Hamiltonian, they are handled by, they are, they are handled by this extra uh, like uh, integrator like Nuse Hoover or other thermostats or barostats. So yeah, those are handled by these uh, long existing um, pools existed in the MD community. Yeah. Then let's continue. So sorry, I've, got another question. On... I've got another question, sorry. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. Because if the, if the simulation is deterministic, uh, isn't there an issue that it can get stuck in local minima of the energy function? Uh, so if you have a temperature, if your temperature is not, if you have positive temperature, the thermostats will help you add this energy. So if you, if you okay, are- Okay, but then you, didn't, you need to inject noise in the, in the computation. So if you have a thermostats, this noise is injected by the thermostats. 
And the thermostats is technically also deterministic. So the thermostats is something that's also, that gives you external forces to keep the system at a, at a like constant temperature. Okay. So if a system keeps moving, uh, it has like the, the energy, the total energy is conserved, right? So if the system doesn't have a thermostat, the total energy is conserved, which means the kinetic energy and the potential energy will exchange, which means your, your, your temperature won't be a constant. So if you have a thermostat here, try to inject or take away energy from the system, it's sort of a perturbation in some sense. And of okay. course, uh, you do have these local minimums that the free energy basins. So where you, when your system falls into this uh, potential energy basin, it has very low potential energy. And uh, this basin is like a very low potential energy everywhere. And you can just fall into this local minimum and just stuck in there and you may never get out, out of it. Like, so one classical example is a double wheel potential. Like you have two like potential energy minima, local minima, and you're in this basin, it's very hard to get out to get to the other basin. And that's basically a very big problem in these uh, MD simulations yeah. that's, yeah, you want to simulate many basins, for example, then yeah, uh, yeah that's a big okay, problem. Thanks, yeah. thanks. So the benchmark is mainly based on this paper, forces are not enough benchmark and critical evaluation for machine learning force fields with molecular simulations. It's a joint work with Zheng Hao, Wu Jie, Tian, Sinan, Rafa, and Tommy. So um, we have a team where we have both machine learning people and uh, MD people. So I hope this can cater to both communities to be scientifically rigorous and to be understandable for machine learning people. Let's get started. Uh, I think I need to go really fast, so I need to skip something if I uh, have to. Um, so previously, how do people evaluate this machine learning force fields? They often just compute the force and energy mean absolute error. That's the most direct way because that's a target you're trying to fit against. And you will evaluate this force and energy configuration based on some test configuration. There's some holdout data set, uh, but uh, it ignores key issues. We are trying to apply these to simulations. First of all, you have error accumulation and stability issue at simulation time. And the accuracy in practical scientific metric uh, is not known at all. So you don't know how well they perform. We are trying to actually use this to simulate and uh, get some uh, observables. Uh, you don't know about how well they conserve energy. So your model may not be energy conserving and you don't evaluate their efficiency. So some model evaluates faster, some, some model are slower and the whole purpose of this machine learning enforcer was to accelerate. So I think it's definitely important to evaluate efficiency. So, um, and one, one big issue here is the test configurations. They are, they are still like real configurations. They are not sort of out distribution. So you don't really know the model's behavior when things get uh, slightly out of control. Uh, another question, even if the, so that's not a question. I will just keep, keep going then. Uh, wait, what? You can still see my screen, right? Uh, yes. Okay, so there are many, many considerations in MG simulations that are not included when you are trying to train a machine learning force field. You need to think about the time step size, the total simulation length, 
all these. So if you are interested, maybe you can get back to the video. Uh, I won't have time to introduce all of them, but there are many considerations you need to consider when you are trying to do simulations on top of a machine learning fossil that uh, has some domain knowledge barrier, which we sort of try to make it clear in this paper. And uh, so when it comes to evaluate machine learning fossil, we need to consider many different aspects. First of all, which systems? It shouldn't be too easy or too hard. What metrics? It should be scientifically meaningful. And in particular, long-term reconstruction is not a good idea because you may have chaotic dynamics and uh, you, you will never be able to get 100% correct with the machine learning model. And uh, if it's observable that you care which ones should be the ones that you evaluate and how long do you need to simulate. And this length is often tightly coupled with the system and the metrics you're looking at. And uh, here we introduce the, the considerations in this paper that is coverage, the correctness and the efficiency. So first of all, the system should cover diversifications MD. Uh, we should have metrics that reflect the scientific objectives. We should have reasonable space and time requirement for the models to evaluate. Otherwise it's a benchmark. We don't want to make it too expensive for everybody to run. Uh, and uh, so on the coverage side, we include small molecules, we include bulk water, we include peptide and electrolyte materials that covers many aspects of MD simulations in many different application areas. And uh, here are the systems we include and some introduction of them. For time's sake, I won't go into details of them. And uh, their correctness and significance. Uh, on this aspect, we want our selected system to be well studied in MD community so that we can get confident conclusions. Like this system, we know it's hard, we know it's easy, we know what's the challenge, and we have all these practical metrics. Uh, let's introduce them later when we touch upon the experiments. So yeah, here are some introduction on the uh, properties we look at, like the radio distribution function is something when you, when you look at a particle and you look at uh, uh, how far, like uh, you, you, you fix the distance R and you look at how many particles are there. So you can imagine for water, uh, you have this, uh, every water molecule is uh, oxygen, hydrogen, hydrogen, like uh, triple, triplet. And you can imagine at the bond length of oxygen and hydrogen, there's gonna be a peak on this RDF because uh, there are many, many particles that are of that distance, like of the bond length distance. And uh, so diffusion measures how fast a particle travel uh, on average through a long time. And uh, you have dihedral angles that are, that is uh, important confirmation information of this peptide. And uh, uh, for this uh, alienated peptide peptide, which is uh, very well, like very well studied, very often used molecule. Uh, we can characterize its conformation modes with the phi psi dihedral angles. And here uh, on below, you see that's the Boltzmann distribution of this molecule. And you can see the, the modes of the dihedral angles. And this, this figure is what we're interested in. And uh, yeah, so that's about correctness and efficiency. So, we want, uh, we want things to run fast so that uh, people can evaluate with reasonable time. So we include relatively small systems and we design the simulation protocols to be um, not, too, uh, not too heavy. 
So we also use enhanced sampling and implicit solvents when we need them. When when like uh, the, the 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 requirement for the simulation is huge, and we have to find a way to make it more efficient. So we do include these more advanced components in the in this work. So um, yeah, here why we care about like efficiency. It takes time. So in this work, we we use metadynamics enhanced sampling methods. We also use implicit solvent to make the simulation faster for alienate peptide. And on the right hand side, you can see our system and the longest time we need to simulate them using machine learning force field. Like for MD17, if you use NICWIP to simulate 300 picoseconds, um, it turns out you need 20 hours. And for alienate peptide, we simulate five nanoseconds with enhanced sampling with implicit solvent and still take three days. So if you don't use enhanced sampling, you don't use implicit solvent, it can easily take you a month. So uh, it's not really something you should do um, for a benchmark. So um, basically this machine reinforcement are not very fast. Of course, I'm selecting the slowest one here. The fast one can take like maybe less than an hour for alien peptide, but it's just for the sake of evaluation, uh, it's really necessary to consider the efficiency. After all, these were simulated by classical force fields. So alien peptide was simulated by classical force fields, which is much faster than now force fields. And uh, so it's, it's a big consideration here, efficiency. Um, sorry. Yeah, so next we get into the results. Uh, let's see how do the machine learning process perform in these tasks. Um, so here is a list of the benchmark models. I cannot go into details, but just see they, they have different symmetry principles like invariance, equivariance. They either conserve or don't conserve energy. And I basically adopt the previous hyperparameters reporting in the papers, and they feature different sizes. So first, let's look at the results on MD17. I know it's an overwhelming table, but uh, if you look at the colors, now maybe as well overwhelming. More green means better. And we have these four molecules, aspirin, ethanol, and these just from MD17, which is very widely used benchmark for MD simulations. but Previously, people typically just evaluate the force energy accuracy. And we evaluate force, stability, HR means inter, inter, the histogram of interatomic distances. So FPS is frame per, per second, the, the speed, higher the better. So here the, the, the arrows means lower the better or higher the better. So the stability basically is a measure of how long can you simulate without the bounds being broken. So none of these molecules should have their bounds broken. And if you have a, your bond length to be too long or too short, we deem it as a broken bond. And the stability means how long can you preserve that. And the total simulation length is 300 picoseconds. You can see some of the model can simulate, can, can be stable throughout. And the first thing we notice uh, is that we can have a model that has noisy force prediction, but can be still stable and recover HR, like the interatomic distance as well. That's the deep pod SE model, which is one of the earliest machine learning model for MD simulation. And it's, uh, it's also really fast because it's local. It doesn't involve like many step message passing. And you'll see it can be very stable as say ethanol, and it can be very stable as salicylic acid, uh, but it's not stable as aspirin. So it's really a system dependent thing. It's, it's also signifies how important the, the evaluation is. Like different models can have very different behavior at different systems. And of course, at different data set sites. 
um, you can see here GemNet and GemNet DT, they can predict forces very accurately, but their stability may not be too good. You can see they sometimes collapse at say 72 picosecond or like 100 or so picosecond, but that's still sort of interesting, right? Because even 72 picosecond, that's a very long time. That's like uh, already tens of thousands of steps. So you, you may say, okay, so, so before you, you do this, you may imagine if it was unstable, it should maybe collapse soon, like collapse within a handful of steps, but they actually can be stable, simulate for a very long time and then silently dies. So uh, it's also something that I think valuable to know um, that these models, when they become unstable, it's not really that they are so bad, they, they become unstable quickly. They're pretty accurate. And they, at some point, suddenly there was a mistake made and it, it dies. So, but this may also suggest that there may be like uh, dedicated fixes to this, like dedicated model try to stabilize the simulation. We can, we will touch upon those if we have time. Um, and we can see a general trend is the force accuracy does not align with the simulation stability or accuracy. You can see a model that has very high force error, but are very stable and can recover the simulation statistic correctly. There are models that can have very nice force prediction, but are not as good in stability or recovering the statistics. We can also have Niquip being the best model here, and but it's very slow as a feature of this very slow tensor product operators. So next we look at water, which we have sort of the richest results. Uh, we can see actually deep pot ICE again, it's a very simple model, it's really fast and it actually gives you really decent results here. Uh, it's not always stable, but uh, it's, it's pretty impressive that it gives you this good results even with the not very good force error. Uh, again, Nuquip is the best model here and uh, it's very slow again uh, due to the tensor product. Uh, operations. We can see there are the Gemini T is the best model with respect to force error, but it doesn't perform that well in terms of stability and these uh, properties. But still, they can simulate 25 picosecond. That's like 25,000 steps stably. So I think I've seen another question here. Uh, yes, I can't see my like cursor when I'm presenting. For Nequip, did you use L plus one tensor products? Yes, I did. So uh, I copied the hyperparameters in the original paper. Uh, we're really out of time. Uh, I'll just go quickly to highlight some of the results I want to show you the most. Um, so here we can see, so these plots, I think we need more explanation. So each color represents a model. And was, you can see the x-axis and y-axis are the metrics. Like x-axis always the force error and y-axis are different things like stability, RDF, diversity. And the, the size of each dot means the data set size. So a larger dot means you have a larger training data set size. So we see here something we expect that for Shunet, for example, if you have more data, you have improved force error. You also have improved stability. And that's sort of because like Shunet is not as data efficient as some later models that use equivariant features. Like Shunet is purely based on like uh, distances and 
is totally invariant. So uh, it turns out to be less data efficient than some later models, which is, which is expected. And you can see this nice scaling of how things get improved uh, when you have more data. This, you, this can also be observed for Depot SE, which is again, a, an early model. You can see Nucrip performs really well, even with the smallest data set size. Uh, this, that is only uh, a thousand data points. And you can see some of the model can perform really, really good at force error, but can't be very stable. And we also have alien dipeptide. So here, uh, the result is, so, so one thing we notice there's high force error for all model due to implicit solvent effects. So again, uh, the, when you do the actual simulation, this alien dipeptide is solvated in the pool of water. So in a box of water. And this water has like uh, hundreds of water molecules and you have only one dipeptide molecule. So to simulate the system, uh, if you simulate the water molecules explicitly, that's a huge overhead. And you can treat this solvent effect as implicit by just sort of treating it as, as, as noise. This is something that's commonly done in the MD community and it's really important here for us to be able to accelerate. But it also you can see the force errors are high because these like implicit throwing fat are basically deemed as sort of noise here. I see another question. So what is a data point coming from where? EFT simulations. So in our experiments for the water system, the data point came from classical simulations. So each data point is a configuration. That's the position of each particle and the forces on each particle and the total energy, the potential energy of the entire system. So you can obtain that information from either classical simulation or from DFT or from like other quantum tools. But uh, for ML force fields, it's usually more interesting if you consider quantum mechanical derived data points as the ground truth. Um, do you improve enhance sampling simulation in your training data set to explore more computational space? I did not. So that's a very good question. And I think it's a really good uh, thing to do next, which is if you have enhanced sample uh, configurations for the alien. For, so, so basically for water system, there's no need for that. So for water, you don't get much. You don't even know what's the collective variable for that. Uh, but for alien the peptide, I think it's a good idea. If you do enhanced sampling, and you compute the force and the potential energy at those uh, states, and then you can uh, train with that more diverse data set. That may give you much better results. But in this paper, we only used a not enhanced sampled uh, data set of alien data. Okay, so here we see this force error due to implicit solvent. And uh, we see NICRIP was the only model that, that was actually stable enough to simulate something. So here, the horizon is huge. We're simulating five nanoseconds. So five nanoseconds means five million steps. Uh, not five million, sorry. Uh, 2.5 million steps because we use a time step of two femtoseconds. Uh, but we use enhanced sampling. We also use implicit solvent, both of these are known to sort of accelerate the dynamics. So you should be able to simulate or sample the potential surface uh, better with these tools. We also validate that it acts 
So we, we actually applied enhanced sampling on the ground truth too, and we verified that five nanoseconds with enhanced sampling is sort of enough to sample the potential surface for this depth of depth. Okay, I see more question here. Um, how long did it take to get five nanoseconds with liquid? 75 hours on our machine. So it's uh, like 2080 tie. It's a media 2080 tie um, for, for NICWIP, 75 hours. Yeah. And uh, so here we show you the results on the left is a, um, so other models don't work. And here is what the results from NICWIP. And NICWIP is like on the left is the potential surface for the ground truth. And right-hand side is what NICWIP gets after five nanosecond simulation of uh, this, uh, Five nanosecond simulation of the enhanced sample data depth of depth. You can see actually it actually captures the mode pretty pretty good. It it samples all the modes except for the right hand side one, like the one uh, on the like uh, ninety degrees or like five equals to ninety degrees. Also, that mode wasn't captured, but all, all other modes were captured, and it, it samples less at the transitions. So basically, it captured the mode really nice, uh, but it captured the transitions less as well. Uh, but this, this is, of course, um, so this has to do with our data. So our data was from the Boltzmann distribution, which is actually very biased towards the local energy minimums. It has many, many samples at the local energy minimums, but it has very much, much, much less samples at the transition path. And that's why, the, like, uh, so I think it's Nico. Sorry if I pronounce your name wrong. But uh, so there, the, the question was really good that if you have enhanced sample data, as your training data, things can be things could be different, yeah. But just to note, you don't always know how to enhance sample, so you don't always know the the collective variables, and enhance sampling is not something you can always use. And the right hand side is the potential potential of mean force, which is sort of the one D uh, free energy surface, and you can see that the like the it's basically a 1D representation of the right, of the left hand side. You can see uh, there's a big gap between what network predicts and what the reference is. Uh, so, and also, um, you can see here, uh, as we saw, as we saw, like Nequip, uh failed on one of the six uh, simulations. So, in this experiment, we initialized six simulations from six free energy local minima. And they are like shown in this uh, left-hand side. And Nequib failed on this black star, which is the region where you have very little data. That's where Nequib failed. And on the right-hand side is how it fell. It simulates for uh, some time. And then at some point, it has a really, uh, it, there's a bomb that gets too close and things explodes. So you can see more details of these results in, in the paper. So in the end, we have this material system, which I'll go very quickly. So it's actually relatively easier because this material features slower kinetics and most models are stable in this. And we can see Gemini T, Gemini DT, although has some trouble in previous tasks, uh, they are the best here. So they have really nice force error and they have really nice prediction on properties and they, they are also fast. So yeah, this, so, so basically again, it's important to, to apply the right model to the right systems. And we don't currently have a very good understanding of why this model was better suited for this or that. 
Uh, do you plan to do test on Allegro further? Uh, so yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting model to try also. So Allegro, uh, one of the big advantages is purely local. So it doesn't have message passing much more efficient. It's a really interesting model that I, yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing its results. Okay, so we don't really have much time, but since I asked the question along the way, maybe we can strangle a little bit as uh, I thought the last 15 minutes was meant for questions. Um, we also noticed some energy conserving issues here, but I won't go, I won't go into details of them. There are other results that can be found in the paper, which for time's sake, um, you can find them out in the paper. So here are a few takeaways. Uh, first, evaluation matters. The force energy error evaluation is not enough. And the performance comparison is very system or data setting dependent. And challenges remains. There are stability issues, there are sampling problems, there are efficiency issues. And we see stability can be a bottleneck for the very accurate models. And one, 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 one way that people are actively exploring is to use active learning to find the data points where the model make mistakes and to train the model with that. So uh, you, you, there are also, we also observe that more recent equigram models, they show stronger performance. And if you want to explore the data set and the models, uh, you can train machine learning force field and run the simulation and then complete observables, uh, all with the code base that we release along this paper, uh, which the link is here. So uh, in the last couple of minutes, uh, I want to quickly touch upon what I think is beyond ML threshold. So field threshold are basically the most popular thing that people investigate today for machine learning MD simulations, but there's an entire spectrum of questions to investigate. And uh, since we don't have time, I'll just touch upon. We have stability. There are some existing solutions um, such as noise augmentation, multi-step prediction, prior energy, that means you augment your learned energy function with some prior, since like I will insert a harmonic bounds to make it more stable. We can have refinement module that after a step, if it's too wrong, I will just refine it with another model. There are expressivity improvements possible, like long range forces, how do you capture them better? And efficiency, you can consider, maybe you could distill a very heavy learned force field or maybe you can have strictly local descriptors that don't use, don't do multi-step message passing that can be faster. You can have core screening either spatially or temporally. And on the other hand, sampling is a big problem. If you have multiple local minima, you may get uh, trapped in one of them. You need such long time to simulate them. So uh, you want to accelerate those processes. There are enhanced sampling methods. You can try to design advanced integrators. And there are time integrated simulators, which is something that I've done. And I, I think it's an interesting direction. There are transition path sampling. Uh, there are journey models, which sometimes just, I give up uh, modeling the dynamics. I just want to see what are the most possible states. So you may see some recent diffusion models that does this, that tries to find the like uh, probable configurations or like this model, this line work called Boseman generators 
which basically tries to sample the Boltzmann distribution using a flow model. So you can see these general models have a surge as the sampling is a huge problem for MD. And I want to feature, not feature, but just briefly mention two recent work in our group. One is doing coarse grain time integrated simulation. Uh, and the other is deep dot, which, uh, so the first one is uh, try to simulate uh, batteries and polymers uh, with coarse grain and time integrated simulators. So a time step in the simulator is like uh, hundreds or even thousands or even up to like uh, millions of steps of the original MD simulation. So you are really taking huge steps uh, in this work. That's what we explore. And also people have been using like diffusion models to do molecular docking. Like that's also sort of a dynamic process, but that's a bit far from MD, but it's, uh, it's something people are very interested in uh, in this space. And uh, we also have many numerous applications here. We can get a holistic analysis of biomolecules or materials. We study important processes using MD and we, we can power drug and material discovery using MD simulations. So uh, I can talk this for hours, but we don't have time for that. Uh, so I want to thank you for attending this talk. And if you want to check out the paper, the data set and the code, you can go to my website and you can also go to the GitHub link that I shared before. Uh, I thank everyone for coming and I'm happy to answer any further questions. Thank you, Shang, for the great presentation and the, the awesome talk. So we'll open it up for Q&A now. Feel free to just unmute yourself to ask a question or you can send something in the chat. Can I uh, okay. ask a question? Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, hi. You, you mentioned, hi, you mentioned noise augmentations, um, but there are other augmentations as well. Um, uh, you know, potentially translation symmetries, which you could either enforce in the architecture or via augmentation. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess um, just the broad question, like how um, do you think the field has used these yet or is there still more work to be done here and how, how important is the role of augmentation? Oh yeah, so I feel translation or orientation, augmentation, they are sort of less, people take less attention to them because we have these really nice invariant or equivariant neural nets. Uh, and uh, for noise, uh, nowadays people see it as a trick. And it's like, I just add a Gaussian, for example. And I think uh, active learning is one sort of way that people are exploring sort of the, the nice augmentations, right? Like they are trying to find, so if you have a Gaussian process, of course, they try to find where the model was most uncertain about. And you can imagine this can be done maybe for more complex models and getting these data where the model make mistake, I think is a really good augmentation. And other than that, uh, I think, yeah, I, I personally don't have a good idea, but maybe there exists geometrically inspired augmentation that'll be really helpful here. Yeah. Thank you for your question. Thank you. So what was your value of L in the NICRIP runs? So it depends on the data set. If you look at the data, if you look at the original paper of NICRIP, they use different L for molecules or water. And I think I use two 
for most. Uh, so basically, I copied all of theirs. I believe it's two or three. I think it's two or three for depends on the systems. And sometimes you can even reduce that to make the model for, faster. So I haven't tried many, but you can see there's a little test of my. So I, I did vary the radius cutoff and the network depth. I did not vary the like tensor product uh, order. Um, but uh, there is a potential you can reduce that to be faster and still be accurate. Yeah. Any other questions? Uh, I have a question. Um, and, uh, is it easy to get and to use codes that do the that can generate the ground truth data, like your you know DFTs or quantum calculations, or do you need experts to be able to do that to use those codes? I would say, as of now, you may need you, you may need an expert uh, because setting up those is not trivial. Uh, yeah, there are many considerations, such as if your initial condition was not right, then uh, or how much to burn in. For example, you need some time to equilibrate, to equilibrate the state. Right? There are many considerations. So as of now, I think it's, it requires some expertise. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, and the data sets that were used in your evaluations um you mentioned pretty small numbers like thousands or something like this 10,000 um are these the biggest data sets that we have that can be used for learning these force fields of course not so uh so it depends on your data set is whether it's come from the initial or classical so if you are trying to develop a model i think it's fine to use like classical force field as your data and in that case you can generate many many data so for, for the alien dipeptide case, uh, so for, for this molecule, we recorded 50,000 data points. That's from a 100 nanosecond simulation, but our dumping frequency is not very high, right? As you can see, but actually the simulation frequency was every two femtosecond. So time set was two femtosecond. But of course you don't want to record that frequently because that doesn't give you much diversity in how this thing yeah. is. Uh, but if you want, you can simulate many, many. And uh, that's in fact what we did in this work. Uh, we did this coarse grain uh, polymers where we have a hundred trajectories and each trajectory has 10 million steps uh, and not 10 million, sorry, a hundred thousand steps. Each trajectory has a hundred thousand steps and we have a hundred of them. And we have this battery, which we have 500 data points and each have like thousands of steps. And in there, we're trying to generalize across different materials. Like we can generalize to a different battery uh, if you have that much data. And also for OC, Open Catalysis Project, they also have many, many different data points. Uh, so yeah, you can collect many data for these purposes. And actually what's nice about OC is their data is even, I think their data was quantum calculations. And, uh, and they have huge data. Of course, th that cost them much, but since they gave, uh, gave us this data set, it's, it's a really yeah, nice yeah. data set. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the talk. Thank you for the questions.
Thank you. Another All right, if there's one. no more questions. Uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Shall we just answer the last one? And let's, <laughs> let's make it the yes, last one. Yes. We're about time. Uh, other than controlling, is able to handle errors in your interatomic potential. And there, I was wondering if you use Nosy Hoover. So for the all the MVT, we use Nosy Hoover. Yeah, and uh, for 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 the uh, alien that peptide because we use implicit solvent to model the noise, we use Longevin. 